a reading from the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 5. Jesus heals a man with a demon. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them, described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, "Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you." And how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The word of the Lord. All right. Well, we continue our um, series through the book of Mark this morning. And we're in Mark 5. And uh, if you want to follow along, there should be a pew Bible in the seats in front of you. But um, before we get going on that, um, I want to... uh, I want to show off a minute, uh, because I'm a prophet. See, I know something about you, even if I have never met you before. Um, even if I just met you this morning for the very first time, I know there's something true about you. And this is what it is. You're looking for a change in your life, okay? Now, that's as far as my skill goes. I can't tell you what the change is. I have no clue what you might want, but I know that much. You see, it could be something small, maybe a dial adjustment here or there. It could be something huge, a huge hope that you're waiting on, something to change in your life. But change is just what we want. It's just what we hope for as people. If you're here this morning and you're breathing, I know you're looking for a change. All of us are. I mean, we want to eat healthier, right? We want to lose weight. We want to exercise more. We want to create more financial uh, margin in our budget. We want to be better parents. 
We want to have deeper connections with our spouse, be a more faithful and present friend. We want things to work better at work. We want it to be less selfish. We want to be more joyful, less lazy, more brave, whatever it is. We want to run up Arbany Kittle just a little bit faster, right? Like, where am I going to steal a minute and 30 seconds? I don't know yet, but I'm going for it. Um, We want to read more and watch less TV, but then if we're really honest, we just kind of want to watch more TV. We definitely want to experience more peace, peace on the inside, right? We want to be able to enjoy deep heart rest and contentment, no matter how full our calendars and our schedules are. How do I change? This is our question for the morning. And this is just one of those central human questions that we all wake up to every day, no matter who we are. You can't not answer this question. It's a built-in thing. And of course, there's endless voices offering endless answers to that question. How do I change? So our parents, our friends, our coworkers, everybody's got advice for what it is that we need. Um, the world around us, I mean, advertisements are selling us change constantly, right? Every commercial on TV is a mini answer to this question. How do I change? And so, for example, you see, it's sort of hard to explain in a 30-second window, but trust us, it's true. If you just buy this Lincoln MKZ, you will stare thoughtfully at the horizon uh, through your windshield in a leather luxury chair, contemplating the deep things of life, and the whole time you're going to look just as beautiful as Matthew McConaughey, right? Um, The serenity you need, whether you know it or not, is available to you for only $40,000. You're welcome. Uh, advertisements, commercials, everybody's offering us a chance to change the thing we think we need changed in our life. Our culture itself provides a, a narrative for change, a sort of playbook for even how to start. Traditional cultures have almost always said the way to change is to conform to the expectations of those around you right? Handed to you from the outside. So duty to family, right? Do your part for the family name. Religious expectation. This is the sort of mold you need to fit into to be a good citizen here. Um, Country first, you second. That's the traditional understanding of change. When you conform to your expectations, you're arriving. You're, You're becoming the person you're meant to be. Our modern culture, or maybe late modern or postmodern, I don't know what we call it these days, but wherever we are today, says almost the exact opposite, right? It says, no, no, you actually need to change by looking inside and finding your authentic self. And um, instead of conforming to the structures outside of you, you need to bravely and courageously express who you are with integrity, right? These are two different playbooks, two different pathways to change. Here's the point. The advice is endless. Everybody's got to take on what you and I need to change, to to, to change our lives? How do I change? How do we experience the transformation that we're all hoping for just because we're human? Well, through the noise, through the ads, through the opinions, and through the playbooks that are out there that we inherit comes one totally unique voice. This is the voice of God, the, the voice of the one who actually made you and knit you together and knows how you're supposed to work his voice through his word in the Bible. And what's so interesting about his voice and his advice on this one, his path to change, is that it's not really advice on how to live better at all. Not really. 
Uh, it's not an example to follow, to get better, not really. He doesn't provide the right workout plan, the right schedule for fitness. He doesn't offer us the four-hour workweek book so that we can get our life balance all sorted out. He doesn't really offer a plan at all. What God does to help us change is provides us a person. He provides us himself, and it's a power that he offers from himself. Our passage this morning is a story about a man's encounter with God, the living King Jesus. It shows us what happens when a life that's in need of change. I think all of us would agree, if anybody needs change, it's our buddy today, okay? In desperate need of change, what happens when that man encounters the living God, comes face to face with the person and the power of Jesus Christ? See, in this story, we see a man whose life can literally be split into two halves, his life B.C. and then his life A.D., Uh, This is how we mark our calendars, of course, but honestly, it's also how you can mark any life that has been transformed by God. Life BC, life before Christ, and then life AD, which, okay, I had to look this up. It's Latin, and it stands for Anno Domini, and it means year of the Lord. In other words, life AD, the years lived with Jesus um, under his reign and in relationship with him. So this is what we're going to do. This morning, we'll take a look at life B.C. and life A.D. in this man's experience, in his life. And all the while, what I want us to ask is, what does his transformational encounter with Jesus have to do with us? Okay, So, let's jump in. Life B.C. If you were to describe this poor man's life before he encountered Jesus, all right, with just a word, what word do you think you would pick to describe his experience. Uh, It's pretty grim, and there's a lot of words you could choose. Uh, I mean, demon-possessed, it's kind of two words. Uh, Tragic, dangerous to himself and to others. Unloved, unloving. There's a lot of things we could pick, but as I thought about this, I think the word I would go with that really gets to the heart of his experience, B.C., is disconnected. This man is deeply disconnected. He's disjointed. He's sort of unraveled in every way that you can be as a person. I mean, clearly he's disconnected from other people. So he lives alone in a graveyard among the tombs. He's surrounded by death every day. He lives in a world of death. Others have tried to control him. They've at least tried to contain him by binding him in chains and shackles. But these, these supernatural evil, evil spirits have made him sort of both more than human and less than human at the same time. And so he just rips these chains apart. He's dangerous. He lives alone. He's isolated. He's feared by those in town. He has no relationships. Uh, he has no human touch. He gets no hugs. No one invites him for dinner. No hospitality. No conversation. This is the opposite of how we were designed to live and thrive. I mean, even before sin entered the world, we learn in Genesis 2, it is not good for man to be alone. And this man is deeply alone. He's not just disconnected from others, though. In a sense, he's disconnected from himself. What do I mean here? He's not whole. He's not healthy. His body, his mind, his emotions, his soul, they don't fit together with integrity uh, and peace. So even though he's sort of physically a, a superman, and psychologically, he's a shell of a man, isn't he? I mean, we read in verse 5 that he's constantly weeping, and then he's trying to cut himself 
with stones. He, it's like he's at war with himself. Have you ever met anybody like that? Or maybe you've experienced something like that. It, you're at war with yourself. You don't fit in your own body. But third, uh, we see he's disconnected from God. When Jesus arrives in verse 6, uh, this man of the tombs actually identifies Jesus more truly than anyone has yet in the Gospels. He says, Jesus, son of the most high God. In other words, he knows who he's dealing with here. He knows who he is encountering. Um, and, and, yet two, and yet two contradictory things happen at the same time. In verse 6, he runs to Jesus and falls down before him. But then in verse 7, he cries out not to be tormented by him. Okay? So he's doing, he's doing this, right? He, he wants to be close to Jesus, but he doesn't want to be close to Jesus at the same time. He knows he needs to be near him. Um, somewhere deep, maybe unconscious in his soul, he knows there's a wavelength and a magnet that connects him with this man. He knows there's life there. He knows there's hope there. But maybe somewhere else, maybe in his conscious mind, he cannot possibly figure out a way that encountering Jesus is going to make his life better. He can only imagine ways it's going to make his life worse. So he's disconnected. He's in conflict with God. His entire life is disconnected horizontally from others, internally within himself, and vertically to God. Broken all over the place. But that's not all, okay? I mean, it's like a bad infomercial. Wait, there's more. Uh, He didn't just experience the disconnection of a broken life. He actually extended the disconnection of a broken life, okay? Before his encounter with Jesus, life B.C., As one author put it that I read this week, uh, this man is an outpost for the demonic activity in the world. Uh, The name he gives Jesus, presumably speaking on behalf of the demons, is legion. I mean, that's military language, okay? They're using him as a staging ground, as an outpost for their mission of evil and destruction in the world. They're using him to extend more chaos and more disconnection wherever he goes. He was on a mission for evil. His entire life experience was defined by disconnectedness. The things that were supposed to fit together instead fought with one another. The things that were designed to dance instead destroyed. He lived in a land of death, and he brought brokenness with him wherever he went. If anyone in the history of the world wanted change or needed change, it's our buddy who lived in the tombs. It was this guy. But here's the thing that's important to see, and this is where it gets a little bit unsettling for you and I, I think, this morning. The changes he needed in his life, they look far more extreme than the changes that we think we need in our life, don't they? Um, But the question that we're forced to ask here is, man, how different are they really? They may be different in degree, but it turns out they're not very different in kind, from the way that we know we need our life to change as well. In other words, we are this man, okay? This man is us, B.C. This is just the life of a human being, B.C. Not everyone is possessed by a legion of demons. If you are, see me in my office after the service. Actually, don't see me in my office after the service. I don't want to touch that. But every one of us here is disconnected, right? Isolated, broken, in the same kinds of ways as this man. Okay, is that a bit intense? Yes, that's a bit intense. But let me ask you, is it true? 
Well, you, you tell me, do, do any of those descriptions or images of disconnectedness map onto your own life experience? I mean, do you ever feel like your, your efforts at work and at home don't connect? And, and take yourself at your best. Not the days that you're being lazy and you're just saying, oh, whatever. But the days that you're like thoughtfully, intentionally putting down the best work you know how to do, okay? Um, this isn't when, this is when you're, you're giving your all. Does it still ever not connect? Do you not see the results that you hope for, the impact that you wanted, right? It's like your work doesn't work right. There's something that doesn't connect. Or are there relationships in your life that don't work right? Have you ever interacted with someone, your spouse, a friend, a coworker, and it's like you guys were talking different languages. You just couldn't figure out how to see one another and be with one another. Or even worse, um, maybe left an encounter with someone that you love who is as committed to your own good as you are to theirs. Someone who even loves God with their whole heart. Um, and each is sincerely trying the best they can for the other person. And yet you all still come away from that encounter hurt and frustrated and angry. Why is that? Given our best intentions, given our most committed efforts, and and even we're on the same page, we're on the same team, why do we still come away hurting each other? Why don't we connect? Do you ever feel like you are your own worst enemy? Like you can't get out of your own way? Like you're still saying and doing and thinking the things you committed not to say and do and think before? Why can't we even connect within ourselves, right? Have you ever sensed that you want to be closer to God, if there is such a being, but you can't imagine how that would make your life better, especially a life with Jesus? Why is this our experience? Why can our life so easily be summed up by the same word as the man in this story, disconnected in all kinds of important ways? Well, the Bible... This ancient, dusty book actually makes great sense of our life experience if we're willing to hear it out, okay? If you go way back to Genesis 3, God recounts the story of the moment the world broke. Our father, our mom and dad, disobeyed their loving God, their friend, their creator, their king. And when they did that and sin entered the world, something fractured, something broke, And what's so fascinating but tragic is that in the immediate aftermath of that event, we actually see all of these same relationships beginning to disconnect, okay? Adam and Eve, they hide from God. They still know intuitively in their hearts that he's good and that he loves them, but when they realize what they've done, they hide from him in fear and shame. Their relationship with God is fractured. And instead of defending and protecting one another and supporting one another, um, Adam and Eve now start shifting the blame to anybody else but themselves who they think they can pin it on, right? So Adam says um, to God, this woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. Okay, nice one, Adam. Like you were standing right there the whole time. And in one sentence, you managed to blame both God and your wife, okay? Like they, their, their relationships horizontally are disconnecting. They're fracturing with one another, right? Their relationships with themselves are broken. They hide in shame because of their nakedness. They, they no longer feel comfortable in their own skin. They're now at war 
within themselves. And even their work, even their relationship with the earth and their mission that they were sent here to do is fractured. There's now thorns that are going to make it frustrating instead of seamless. Their work doesn't work as well anymore. All of these dynamics, their vertical relationship, horizontal relationship, relationship with their mission is fractured. We inherit this. We contribute to this. We experience this and we extend this, okay? This is life BC in a broken world. This is our default mode. Before being transformed by Jesus, we are this man among the tombs. However, that beautiful, unique, gracious however of the gospel of Jesus. However, there is new life available for anyone and everyone who wants it. A life that's not defined by disconnectedness and brokenness and death, but unity and healing and life, a changed life, a transformed life. This new life doesn't come from a new life plan, okay, uh, or new commitment or new discipline. It, It doesn't come from an inspiring new example. There's not enough power in plans and examples to patch back together this world that we've broken. New transformative life comes when we encounter the person of Jesus. This is life A.D., Anno Domini, the year of the Lord, life lived under the good, healing, gracious, transformative reign of King Jesus, life in relationship with God himself. So let's consider this man's transformation briefly before considering the hope available for our own. In a great act of freedom and power, Jesus casts these unclean demons out of this man with a word, okay? Sends them. And that's, those spirits of death uh, were sent into a herd of 2,000 pigs, super weird, we'll get to it more in a minute, where they continued their reign of death and destruction, and they drove them right off a cliff into a sea. See, these spirits, they had one mission, and it was destruction. They were going to do it in the man, or they were going to do it somewhere. And they did it in the pigs. So after the hubbub and the commotion that that caused in the area, what we get is a picture of a man enjoying a transformed life, a new life with Jesus. Verse 15, we're told he's sitting clothed in his right mind. He's no longer damaging himself. He's no longer weeping in sorrow. He's psychologically, emotionally, physically healthy. He's bound together with with an internal integrity. His relationship with himself has been restored and healed. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting ready to go, we see him actually begging Jesus to go with him. No more conflict, no more doubt, no more uncertainty about how Jesus will deal with him. Now he just wants to be as close as he can to his friend and his Savior. But Jesus actually tells him to stay where he is. And there's an interesting little line in verse 19 that says, go home to your friends. See, apparently this guy wasn't always this way. He didn't always live alone in the tombs. He had a past life of relationships and family and friendship. And instead of Jesus taking him away from those, Jesus sends him right back into his old network of relationships to get reconnected, reunited, rejoined in community with his old friends, but also with a new mission. Not a mission of destruction and death, but a mission of hope and joy. He says, Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. See, these powerful, gracious words of Jesus mend and patch and heal this man's disconnected life. 
He, he stitches him back together after all that sin and death has ripped him apart. So I think one thing we've got to ask here is, okay, but like, how? Right? Like, why is this encounter with Jesus different from other ways that we could change our life? Like, what, it, what makes Jesus different from all good advice out there, right? Like, yeah, okay, your, your parents say put more money in savings and feed your kids less sugar. Like, that's good advice. You should do that. But what makes an encounter with Jesus different? What makes it unique? I actually think there's a hint in this passage in that strange uh, incident with the pigs. All that evil, all that sin, all that death and disconnectedness, it had to go somewhere. Okay, like uh, there was a source of that evil, that, that sin. It had to be placed somewhere. It, it, it's not imaginary. It's real. We just can't wish it away. We just can't um, sort of decide to live outside of it with, with like good vibes or happy thoughts. Like we have to contend with the thing that's breaking things, right? Something must be done with it. It's got to be dealt with. And in the case of this man, Jesus sent that source of destruction into a herd of pigs. And of course, they got there and continued to destroy. That's just what they do. That's what sin does. But what does he do with the rest of us? Okay? What does he do with the source of destruction and brokenness in my own heart? What does he do with the source of destruction and brokenness in yours? I mean, more pigs? Should we just line them up endlessly and Jesus will send them careening off a cliff over and over and over again? That's a lot of herds of pigs. The Bible says no more pigs, just one lamb, right? Uh, Jesus approaches his cousin John the Baptist in the desert, and John cries out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus deals with sin on our behalf And he bears it away. He removes the source of that disconnectedness and that destruction in life. And in the process, he himself becomes disconnected. He becomes destroyed. On the cross, when Jesus died, Jesus grabs hold of sin. And sin grabs hold of him. And the two of them just sort of go careening off the cliff into the sea. He goes down and he takes sin down with it on our behalf. He deals with it. He contends with it for us. But the miracle of Christianity, and this is the thing that makes it unique among all the other life change plans and options and advice out there, the thing that makes Christianity unique is that sin had the power to destroy Jesus. It could take him down into death, but it did not have the power to keep him there. And so when he rose from death, he rose united and redeemed and whole and perfect And all of the ways that our world is disconnected, it's not disconnected in Jesus' resurrection life. And he can offer that same life to you and to me. I mean, that's change. You want to talk about change? Resurrection life? That's change, okay? That's more than like losing a little weight or putting more money away in savings. Like resurrection life, I think if we're honest, is the change we're actually looking for. Imagine the resources in your life if Jesus really bore away the very heart and source of sin, the disconnectedness, and rose again perfect and offers it to you. I mean, imagine the resources. So that's what I want to do to wrap up. I want to ask you a few questions that I think this passage calls us to ask. If this is true, okay, if this is true, we should be asking these questions. To start, Have you encountered Jesus in this way, okay? 
have you met this king, this man, this savior? Because there's a crucial difference between knowing things about Jesus and truly encountering Jesus. I mean, throwing your life in with his life. You can read about him and know about him and understand things about him without encountering him. And the difference is transformation. The difference is that he is at work in your life. Now, it doesn't have to be dramatic, okay? It certainly does not have to include the untimely death of 2,000 pigs. It could be subtle. It could be slow. It could be, could be happen over decades. It could be hard to see as it's happening. But, but is God changing you? I mean, is he at work in your life? Can you see signs of his healing and his kingdom at work in your life? Another question um, is, where might you and I need to invite Jesus into our life for deep change? I, I think there's a way that those of us who have been in the church a long time can sort of have a relationship with Jesus without having him intimately involved in every area of our life. Okay, we might, we might know we're good. Okay, we might be in heaven with him forever, but, but is he involved? I mean, is he like getting in to these seams of brokenness and starting to heal them? And where might you need to invite him in? What relationships are broken? Where are you enslaved to sin? Where are you gripped by fear and anxiety? Where are you chasing the dream of a life that just doesn't exist in this world? See, Jesus enters seemingly impossible situations, and he goes to work. I mean, he does supernatural things. It might not look like we want it to look or think it's going to look. He might surprise us. But these are the places he is exactly at work in our life, where we're broken and where we're disconnected. Finally, where might Jesus be sending you in mission in his name. Uh, Jesus says to this man, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. That is the mission of the gospel, okay? I mean, that's, it's as simple as that. Look at the qualifications that it takes to be an evangelist, a missionary in God's name, okay? Ready? There's, there's two qualifications in this passage for going on mission with Jesus. Do you know a single person, another human being, Okay, check. Um, And have you experienced the mercy of God? Like any hope, any life, any encouragement, any, any transformation that you've experienced in your life because of God, that's it, okay? If you can answer yes to those two questions, no seminary training required, no Bible training required, no apologetics training required, like you are commissioned in God's name to go and share about the ways that he has been at work in your life. Um, Here's the thing. I do know evangelism. Okay, let's just end on this real quick. Evangelism. I know it can be hard and awkward and difficult to start to share what it is that we really believe. I mean, we believe crazy stuff, okay? Like, we believe a man was killed, and then three days later, he was not dead anymore. Like, we're weird. I get that. The culture thinks we're weird. Normal people think we're weird. I even think we're weird. But if it's true, okay, if it's true, like, we have something to share here, right? And the thing is, we are all already evangelists. I mean, every time that you tell someone about the new hole-in-the-wall taco place you found, you're a taco evangelist, okay? Every time that you tell them about the new gear website that gives you sweet deals for half price, you're a gear evangelist. You're a book evangelist. You're a trail evangelist. You're a secret powder stash evangelist. We're all evangelists. What made this man a Jesus evangelist? 
is he encountered him in a transformational way, okay? His heart was captivated by the love and grace that was available to the world, and he wanted to share it. He proclaimed how much Jesus had done for him. And you know what? What's the last phrase, the last line of our passage this morning? People marveled, okay? Everybody marveled at what God had done. Here's the thing. We serve a marvelous God. He's marvelous. Uh, He deserves to be marveled at, to be worshipped, to be adored, followed, shared, better than any food or deal or trail. Let the transformational power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that life-changing force, lead you into missionary encounters with your friends, your neighbors, and your family. Go thoughtfully, go winsomely, but go in his name telling how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus not only brings a transformed life, he brings a transformed life mission. Okay, He sends us out in his name. So with that as a closing thought, let's pray and ask him to be with us as he sends us on his mission in the world. Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent your son Jesus into this world to change us. We ask that he would. We ask he'd be at work in our life. And we ask that you would give us... um, a heart to share that with those around us. Um, Make us men and women who go forth in your name and just take great delight in how marvelous you really are. We ask this in your name. Amen.